Hey, welcome to another episode of Haven of Horror. We've been trying to get this one done for a long time. Uh, we have Noah on here, I, unless you want to be called something else. Uh, I don't know. Nah, you already you already spoiled my real name. <laughs> oh no! Uh, welcome to the show, man. We like I said, we've had this planned for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. We're gonna get into it here in a minute, but some, just some preamble. Uh, Milton, you and I are booked for the next four weeks. I don't know if you knew noticed that. No, oh, I noticed, sir, <laughs> by all the various thumbnails that you posted to our channel. I get bored at I've been work. Been busy I'm with that. Like, yeah, I get bored at work. I'm just like, I'm just gonna doodle a little bit. Oh, this looks cool. Um, for anybody who is curious we will be tackling the fear street trilogy uh because we finally were able to do this episode next week will be parts one and two instead of one part every week a different movie and then week three will be fear street part three and i believe psycho gorman and then finally a quiet place part two excited for that one because the first one was pretty good um but yeah and then i've got a couple other things in the works like the babysitter and stuff but that's that's just the new stuff that we're doing, because Netflix is like, oh, and we're doing the Resident Evil anime. Sorry, I forgot about that. But that's four 30-minute episodes, so it'll probably be a whole episode itself, because that's a brown movie length, uh, if I didn't math right. Um, but yeah, just to let you guys know kind of what's what's in the the future, I can't talk today. But more importantly, we've You're got, doing your best. We got <laughs> Noah over here. Hello and there. So whenever we have a new whenever we have a new guest, we always ask them. You know, what are some of your favorite horror movies and what's your experience with horror? Yeah, so um, my favorite horror, I have quite a few favorite horror movies. Um, I've always said that Jaws was like my number one favorite horror movie, but that's, it is horror in a sense, but it doesn't really have the atmosphere of a lot of other horrors that I like. Because that's kind of a summer popcorn movie, uh, mainly. But I still, I'd still say that's probably like technically my favorite horror movie. Then I also love Evil Dead 2, and first Evil Dead's alright, but the second one's really the best. And uh, Halloween, the original Halloween, as well as the re- or the reboot that they did in 2018. Okay. Yeah, it's always uh, funny, because you had never seen Evil Dead 2 before we watched it in the Discord, right? No, I'd seen it before. Oh, you had? I'd, okay. I'd seen it, like, one time, but it was... Uh, our other friend that was watching with us was watching it for the first time. So, oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's cool. I mean, pretty good picks. Uh, we'll 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 give a pass on Jaws. It's it's kind of horror. I think it falls in that place where if you like horror movies, you like that movie. Yeah, yeah, we give your picks a four out of five. There's blood <laughs> in it, so therefore it's horror. <laughs> oh, There's episode in it. Star Wars episode four is a horror film. Yes, yes, but we are no, not no, no, covering no. those. Um, Episode nine is a horror film. Well, that's a horror film of a different type. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But anyway, uh, if you didn't could not tell from the thumbnail or the episode title, we are discussing two horror comedy classics. Uh, we we touched on some horror comedy here and there, but I think for the most part we've done more serious uh, movies. Yeah. So this is a nice change of pace. And uh, Noah, we usually do this in release order, so we're going to start with Ghostbusters. Um, would you rather talk about Ghostbusters, or would you rather wait until Shaun of the Dead as like the intro? Um, I'll explain Ghostbusters. All right, tell us about so, Ghostbusters. So, uh, 
Well, first of all, if you haven't seen Ghostbusters, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and just to clarify, but... we are discussing the original, the only good yeah. one. Yeah, well... Well, you could argue for two maybe a little bit, but the original is definitely the best out of all of them. Yeah, so Ghostbusters is a 1984 sci-fi horror comedy with Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, uh, or, um, Sigourney Weaver... And I forgot who played Egon. Harold Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And they're basically a couple of scientists who are uh, rejected, or they're fired from their job at the university. And then they go into business catching ghosts, basically, because it's all, it's kind of a passionate thing for all of them, except for Bill Murray, who's just kind of there. Um. Yeah, and that's the main thing, but Bill Murray meets this character who's played by Sigourney Weaver, who he, like, kind of falls for, and then she's later um, possessed by this, like, demon dog creature that's the servant of an evil god named Gozer, who ends up being the main villain of the film. So, that's the gist of it. How dare you not mention my boy, um... I can't remember his name now. Uh, Ernie Hudson. He's your boy. Yeah. Oh, you know oh that's right. Ernie, Hudson? Ernie Hudson's there. He doesn't get a lot to do, but he's he still leaves a presence because he's kind of like the every. He's kind of like the audience surrogate character. Yeah. You know the he eyes is, of everything. He has seen shit that will turn you white. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Um, but yeah, Ghostbusters. It was a huge success when it came out. So like. A few years later, they did Ghostbusters 2, which was not as loved. But nothing else happened after that. There's only two of them. So. There's only two of them. There, um, yeah. And just to specify on my comments earlier, I don't hate Ghostbusters 2. But the last time I watched it, we watched, I think, 1 and 2 back-to-back, which is not a good way to watch those because it's the same no. movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of my love for Ghostbusters 2 is just nostalgia, I'll say. Like, it's not... It does not stand well on its own. Like, it's it's very sequelitisy. I'll say. Well, in the near future, uh, or at least in the future, I'd love to have you on for that one as well. Since we did one, we might as well do two. Sure. Um, but yeah. And, and uh, then there will be no other Ghostbusters movies to talk about. Nope. Not well, I mean, the one. new one looks promising, but I mean, it's been a long time since yeah. we've had a Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. Right. Not knock on wood for Afterlife. Um, I don't know. There's maybe there's views in it for 2016 if we want to torture ourselves. But so I thought this. What, might is, be... what is that movie? I've never heard of a 2016 Ghostbusters. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, um, it, yeah. But anyway, I thought this might be fun before we hop into the re- actual review. Um, do you guys have a favorite Ghostbuster? I probably Vankman. I mean, that's the obvious choice, but he's that's hilarious cool. in this movie. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Bill Murray is a master of that, like, dry, sarcastic humor, and that very much appeals to me, uh, personally. Yeah, for sure. And he's he's hilarious in this movie, but I also really... I have a soft spot for uh, Egon, just because he's also kind of funny in his own weird, like, awkward way. Um, But yeah, I'd, I'd still probably say Venkman's my favorite. And Milton? I I'll I'll wait towards Egon 
just because I just really like his focused, eccentric personality. Um, of course, I mean, credit to all of them. They all have a place and they all balance each other pretty well, even even the everyman character at the end. Um, I guess not a lot of people have a lot of love for Dan Aykroyd, but I think he's fine. Yeah, I I think he's also really funny in this movie. He's like, he's very childlike and he has a lot of optimism, like enthusiasm for the stuff that they do in this movie. And yeah. like, as Venkman says, he's the heart of the Ghostbusters. So yes, he really does have a a place in the team. Yeah, like yeah. Venkman. Yeah, Venkman is the brains. Um, Aykroyd is the heart. Egon is. Actually, Egon's more the brains. I get. I guess the face is Bill Murray's character, sort of. I think in the commentary they they said that Aykroyd is the heart, um, uh, Egon's the brains, and Bill is the Murray. So. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, don't get me wrong, Milton. Uh, I don't think anybody is bad in this film. At least of the main main cast, uh, they're all likable. They're all interesting characters. Uh, but it's easy to go to Venkman, I think, as the favorite when, in a way, the film almost plays it like he is the main character. Uh, he gets, I think, yeah. the most screen time. Uh, he has, mm-hmm. like, an actual plot going on with Ignore, Sigour, bleh, with Ripley from Sigourney. Alien. Yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, the rest are just there to kind of be scientist guys and, like, well... The other two main Ghostbusters are just there to be scientist guys, and then Egon is there to be, or not Egon, uh, Ernie. What is Ernie? Uh, Ernie's or, th- um, just there to be uh, our eyes in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they all serve. They all serve their function. Um, also, shout out to Rick Moranis. I miss that guy. I miss when I was he was just in about to talk about yeah. Rick Moranis. He's yeah, dark, dark helmet. He's such like a pathetic weirdo in this movie. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, he he plays a few of those types just throughout his entire career. I think this is probably the most pathetic one, or one of the more pathetic ones that he plays. The other ones are even Dark Helmet's a bit more yeah. balanced than him. Dark but... Helmet's a little more self-aware. Yeah, but I love the bit in this movie where he just comes out of his his apartment, and then he's always locked out. He can never get back in. <laughs> and yeah. He keeps forgetting about that. <laughs> And he I remember to get back in though. I remember yeah. seeing this as a kid, and I didn't see I didn't necessarily grow up with this movie, but I had seen it as a kid once or twice. Because the scene where he's running from the dog has always been just like it burned into my brain, and I don't know why. But that's the only thing I remember from yeah. this this movie as a kid was him being chased down by that dog. Uh which I like claymation, but it is it's definitely noticeable in this movie. Yeah, some of the effects have not aged well at all. Um, That's the biggest example of dated uh, visual effects in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, which don't get me wrong, claymation has its charm, and like I like it in movies like this and and RoboCop with the Ed Two Hundred Nine. But there, it's more jarring, I think, in this movie because it's claymation. Like, and I'm not a movie maker, so I don't know the technical terms. But it's like you've got those claymation dogs, but like in the real city. And it's like a jarring yeah. uh, disposition uh, that makes right. it more obvious. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very CGI odd. mixed with computer-generated stuff in close-in practical puppetry that's actually being used once you insert shots. So there's a mix of a lot of different techniques to try yeah. to make them as real as possible for like the 1980s. 
Yeah, I mean, the puppets themselves, when they show, like, the close-up shots of the dogs and they're just puppets and they're not stop-motion animated, that looks fine. But when it's chasing after him in that scene with Rick Moranis, it's it's really noticeable. Yeah. Although I do want to give this movie props in the special effects department for the... uh... Not only the ghosts themselves, like Slimer looks really good. Uh, the librarian mm-hmm. at the beginning looks really good. But what most impressed me, I think, from an effects standard perspective that held up was the beams. They, yes, you would think those would look terrible, but they don't. Yeah, they actually yeah. look fairly decent. Um, you can and tell I us mean, what the budget sure. first. Well, and I'm also sure that you know, because I don't know about you guys, uh, but I watched the. 4K scan on Blu-ray, and I know that they often go back and you know like touch up those special effects. So I don't know how they would look like if you're watching it on a VHS tape, love like the original release. Um, but the cleanup that I have on Blu-ray looks phenomenal. Yeah, I still need to get that 4K. I have the regular Blu-ray, but I watched it on my 4K TV, and it looked fine to me. Yeah, I don't have the actual 4K disc, but I've got that like. Yeah anniversary set of one and two where it's a 4k scan but it's still on a blu-ray um yeah like scream factory does all the time Mm -hmm. uh which i should have grabbed for for this time with a prop but i I didn't think about it but (laughs) oh yeah mine's in another room too (laughs) i don't know where mine's at actually um i guess we'll start at the beginning because the beginning is one of my favorite gags in this movie uh where he's doing the cards and like, no matter what the guy says, he's wrong. But no matter what the girl says, she's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They... This whole. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying they clearly in Murray's first scene from the beginning they establish him as this douchebag that's like extremely selfish, and he's just hitting on this girl. You know. Yeah, I mean the um, what is it? The dean, I think. Is the guy who fires them directly or something like that? Yeah, it's the dean it, of the... He does make a fair critique against um, uh, Peter Vinkman's character, saying you're kind of just using science as a gimmick to just lure in people like, like a contract, essentially. Yeah. The, the whole idea of just being a university parasite, essentially just luring women. Yeah. Right. And it, his, it's... his methods are, like, flawed and stuff like that. Like, he's... He's just a hustler. Like, he's not a serious scientist. <laughs> not at all. But he is an integral part of the charisma of the Ghostbusters, which definitely helps out their True. business. So it, the movie kind of goes into the idea of, like, despite the fact that you have some dysfunctional personalities, if they really lean hard into their strengths, you know, you can become a successful person. And there is that through line throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And it also helps that uh, it also helps with him there at the beginning because he is the skeptic of the group. Um, And he has some like funny one liners like, you know, trying to disprove that the ghost in the library is real. And he also is where some of the satire I noticed comes in as well, Uh, because you get like when they're starting the business and they mention, you know, that he convinced Dan Aykroyd to put his like family estate up for. Yeah. uh, uh, mortgage, and he's like, "But you didn't even try to negotiate." It's like, "Yeah, we don't need to. We're we'll be fine." It's yeah. it, like Peter Vigman definitely has a lot of confidence and a lot of uh, a willingness to take risks, which is definitely essential for 
you know, startups and right. whatnot. Of course, most people with his personalities also lead to disaster with those types of ridiculous decisions. And you can tell he definitely takes more advantage over Ray and doesn't doesn't really put in a lot of personal risk into it. So yeah, you know. Right. Yeah, but even though he's the skeptic, you have Ray who Dan Aykroyd is kind of just the perfect person to play Ray because he actually believes in the shit in real life. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. so he's like just as enthusiastic about this stuff um as Ray is in the movie. So which I'm going to yeah. reference something that I'm pretty sure Noah will realize but that's one of the big issues with Ghostbusters too is that it's just like Dan Aykroyd trying to prove ghosts exist. Yeah, I mean yeah. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd was one of the principal writers for the script, along with Harold Ramis. Um, and I think it helps that his imagination gets into it, but he's also tempered by Ramis and uh, director and some of the producers as well. I'm assuming Ramis brings more of the comedy and, like, the skepticism to go off of Aykroyd's, like, crazy beliefs and sh stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, at least in my opinion, this is a near-perfect script. Uh, like yeah. I, And the pacing is wonderful. Like, I was never bored or like, can we can we get on with it? <laughs> yeah, no, this movie goes on for actually quite a bit of time, but you don't really feel the length at all. And it's it's excellent. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's a strangely well-structured cast because Bill Murray would not be a great writer but he would be a great actor to like look be like on the outside looking in because he has a natural sarcasm about it. It's good that he's not as connected to the script as he might be in like a, a legacy picture where he does like like maybe a Ghostbusters 2 situation where he would be writing the sequel or something like that because he was one of the yeah. people in the originals. Harold Ramis definitely brings in more of the comedy. It's good that he plays this eccentric personality that people can't take seriously, despite the fact we clearly recognize his intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have a Dan Aykroyd. It's also good to have an opposed Dan Aykroyd, where he's balanced by other people, because then otherwise you get some of the other stuff that he made like after this movie, and you can tell he truly is crazy, and if unrestrained, yeah. will make something that's not going to be liked by a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Well, just like how uh, Aykroyd is like Ray in real life, um, Murray basically just plays himself in this movie and it works perfectly. Yeah. Like, it is a good thing that he's not involved with the writing, I think, because it's apparent he doesn't really take Ghostbusters that seriously. But that's good because it helps his performance. Like, he's someone who does not really like doesn't take anything seriously at all and just like jokes around it does change throughout the movie though and at the right point because when he finally recognizes there are ghosts he's he's on board but he's also still willing to help his friends and colleagues throughout this thing in the first place he's even willing to entertain what he thinks isn't real which i think is a difference from what a lot of like newer writers think about the whole skeptic that he has to be opposed and be very reluctant very unwilling but you can yeah. see a bit of the strength of character and the fact that he is willing to entertain the possibility even though he doesn't think this stuff is real yeah and i, I also think, think... oh god well, i think part of it is 
like I said, he doesn't really, he's helping his friends, yes, but he's kind of also just like laughing at them behind the scenes, I think. I feel like, and because he's also using it to get with uh, Dana Barrett, too, so it's like, he doesn't, he is a part of the team, but he's not really like, you know, team player that much, I think. Yeah, and you get some of that, especially during the hotel scene, where he just completely freezes up when Slimer's chasing after him, uh, and get yeah. one of the other best jokes in this movie. He slimed me. He slimed me. <laughs> That's the one that got me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and, and just thinking back to some of the movies that we've we've covered, them, um, there's two ways to do a skeptic right, right? Uh, this this way. But you would also you could also do something like Sam Neill in the in the Mouth of Madness, uh, where he is constantly skeptic, but is proven wrong. But it's about challenging that skepticism in a way. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do that if the character is more sympathetic with the second example. That's why it kind of works with you know the Mouth of Madness, as opposed to here where it's supposed to be a comedy film. I think it's better to have the, you know. The character that Bill Murray portrays, as opposed to you know, someone like Sam Neill's character. Absolutely. Yeah, because um, yeah, like with this movie, I think Murray knows when to play it as an asshole and when to play it as like the guy that wants to help. Yeah, he um, but definitely it's still an asshole. <laughs> He's still the, but he has direction and push, which is something that the the group especially needs. Because although Dan Aykroyd's character is enthusiastic, he's not exactly very assertive. So you need that assertive personality to drive the group forward. It's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> and he is definitely the more centered out of all of them. Uh, you know, aside from, of course, yeah. our everyman. Uh, you know. Well, the, this man has no dick line reminds me. Uh, this movie is very quotable. What are some of your guys' oh, yeah. favorite lines? Probably the one you just mentioned right there, honestly. Yeah, that cause an favorite. explosion. Dickless here, you know, causing explosion. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's definitely the this man has no dick joke. Uh, that he slimed me. Uh, most most of the stuff that I liked the most came from Vinkman because they're just like sarcastic one liners. Um, whereas everything else, everyone else, definitely. most of their jokes were more on the scientific side. Like the joke is that they're talking this complicated lingo that we can't possibly understand. Um, right. Yeah, well, but then of course as well, yeah, and of course as well, Ernie Hudson going, "I've seen shit that will turn you white." Um, There's also a Harold Ramis gets a great line just in response to someone asking. I think the the receptionist asking about his hobbies, like, "I collect rare spores and fungus." I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Um, yeah, but also, Ackroyd gets a good, great moment just of him thinking about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That's, oh, that's yeah. definitely I mean, one that's, of the more memorable things. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Which is really thinking about it, because I kind of took this movie like a little seriously as a kid, but then as I got older, I realized how much of a comedy it is. And like the image of a giant marshmallow guy destroying a city is really absurd and just like hilarious in its own right. <laughs> like It's great. Uh, yeah. and, and they um, kind of play it for... Uh, a dirty joke at the end once he explodes and everybody's covered in like that white stuff. Because I feel like Vinkman makes a comment or two. Right. 
it, yeah. Well, there's um, the line about grabbing your stick and making it hard, you know? Oh, uh, Rick Moranis, I think, gets a few good one-liners as well. Um, most especially is him opening the door. I am the key master! <laughs> so, that always makes Oh, fun. I love um, when he's in the firehouse and uh, Janine's like, would you like some coffee? And he's like, oh, should I? And Egon's like, yes, have some. He just goes, yes, have some. I love when uh, Bill Murray shows up to uh, Dana's apartment after she's been possessed. And he's, she's like, are you the key master? And he goes, no. She just slams the door on <laughs> So he knocks just... again. And she goes, are you the key master? He says, yes. Yes. <laughs> There's there's a lot of funny moments. This movie is consistently funny. It even has some jokes that are very quiet and deadpan as well. There's a there's a variance of humor throughout this film. I'm actually glad you had mentioned that um, both of you because I, I did write down one of them that almost like I almost missed just because it was like quick fire. Uh, but there's an interaction. I believe it is with Egon and Bill Murray. And he's like, "You tried to drill a, th- a hole through your head," and he just goes, "Yeah, and it would have worked if you hadn't stopped me." Yeah, stop me. <laughs> I, I also remember the moment in which uh, they talk about the proton packs. Like, they talk about how the fact it's like a nuclear accelerator, I think, like, but untested. Egon turns it on and immediately starts backing away inside of the elevator, but it's also inside an elevator. So you can tell how much they polish the script just to make a situation very dense with just jokes. And, well, and of course, the best visual gag is when they go to the ho- the hotel and there's that guy there smoking, and then the next scene is them in the elevator with a giant no smoking sign behind them. Yeah. <laughs> no, th- this is a very this is a very polished script. Um, it's it, this yeah. may be just one of the. It's not just a great horror film. It's one of the penultimate films in all of Hollywood's history. It's no wonder they wanted to make a franchise out of it. At the same yeah. time, probably exactly. shouldn't have made a franchise out of it. See, I, I'm no. not going to agree with, with you there. I feel like there are places you could have taken this after that first movie. Um, the problem is, the problem isn't that it shouldn't have been turned into a franchise. The problem is that the sequel just turned out to be the first movie again. And yeah. they kind of forgot how to make. What I think this movie does really well that I think, and Shaun of the Dead does this well too, and a lot of other horror comedies don't really do this, is that it perfectly balances the tone of darkness and like having things actually be legitimately scary while also having comedy in it. Like the ghost stuff, like in this movie, I think you can take completely seriously if you just put it in a serious movie. But you have, like, funny characters, like, contrasting it, so it works. It's, you know, you can watch it and get scared in places, but you can also laugh. So, it's just, like, perfectly balanced. It's all things should be. The intimidation factor is definitely ramped up whenever you get into Gozer's domain. Uh, Zul and Gozer. It definitely heightens the um, the tension a bit once you realize, oh yeah, there's there's something that we truly cannot explain. Right. Exactly. And you don't really see that. I mean, I I pretended like this movie didn't exist, but the remake, um, they kind of treat the ghosts in that movie as goofy as the main characters. So there's no. It doesn't feel like there's a real threat 
Whereas in this movie, there is a real threat. That's because <laughs> the remake is a Saturday Night, Live, Saturday Night Live sketch, and this is an actual movie. And this is a movie, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people just forgot that not all the ghosts are Slimer. Right. Not all this this weird, goofy-looking thing, but it looks that way because it's a gluttonous spirit. Well, as and it's... some of the others, which are... It's not only that, it's it's how, as as a country, our humor in movies has changed. In the 80s, it was all about very deadpan, dry humor. Like, oh, this guy, you know, he's kind of a dick, but he's charming and likable. Now, comedy is just, like, degenerated into slapstick. So everything has to be slapstick. And the biggest evidence of that recent, recent memory is the remake. Right. And it's not just, it's poorly done slapstick and like too much of a reliance on, oh, these people are funny. Let's just have them improvise the entire scene. Isn't it funny that I'm screaming for like 20 minutes on a scene? Isn't it funny that the attractive hunk is also an idiot? (laughs) But anyway, back to uh, Ghostbusters 1984. Uh, Just to coincide with what Noah was saying, um, something I really appreciated on this watch through uh, is how much tension is just built up in that opening scene in the library uh, before it becomes completely ridiculous with them just like joking about trying to find the ghost uh, and like Murray Bill Murray's not believing uh, Harold Ramis and things like that. So yeah. like, there's definitely a good mixture of the tension uh, and or while also just being like you could show kids this movie. Right. Um, Unlike the next movie we're going to talk about, which you should not show no. your kids, but no. uh, unless they're ready for it, I know. there's a good there's a good amount of material in this movie that's approachable for children, but also plenty of stuff that only adults are going to understand. Certainly, so that's we used to make movies like that. Yeah, yeah where if you had to make a kids movie, you didn't have to talk down to people to get them to see it. Right. Well, and- that also reminds me of that whole library scene, I think, is a good example of the tone that I'm talking about because it's very, like, it's shot really well. It's shot like a hor- like other horror movies were shot at the time, and they do build tension towards revealing the ghosts. And, of course, there's that jump scare, right, at the end when they go up to the librarian ghost and they go, you know, get her. That that scene was like genuinely terrifying for a lot of audiences back then. But then of course, right after that, you're laughing at how scared they are. So, you know, it's just like balanced perfectly. It was a good pacing to start up with something like that instead of say bringing in Gozer from minute one. And then Gozer appears at the end. It's good to have that gradual ramp up in um, you know, in threat so that people can get used to what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to move on here soon, but a couple other things I wanted to mention. Uh, going back to lines we liked, the other thing I wrote down here is I noticed, uh, I think it's when Bill Murray's like talking to the TV cameras, and he's like, no ghost is too big. I also noticed right after that, he says, also, no fee is too big, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty yeah. good. There's so many quotable points in this movie. I got slimed, that, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love when they see the big stack of books and Ray's like, oh, it's symmetrical book stacking, you know? And then uh, Vankman's just like, oh, yeah, you're right. No human would ever stack books like this. 
All right, so my final thoughts, because uh, we, like I said, we got to move on. Uh, I feel like there's also a lot to talk about with Shaun of the Dead, and I'm excited to talk about that one, too. Yeah. Uh, my final thoughts is that this is a movie made by its cast who all have excellent chemistry. Um, it's a shame that this franchise never really found its footing on film, but I think there is a lot of stuff you could have done with this premise. Um, and mm-hmm. all of the characters are likable. All the performances are great. Uh, the great Rick Moranis... Is also is always awesome to see on screen. I miss I miss when that guy was in movies. Um, I'm gonna give this a four point five out of five. I love this movie. Uh, we're since Noah is our guest star, we're gonna let him go next. All right, Milton. Yeah, um, I'm giving this one a five out of five. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I I go back and forth because I think the last time I watched this movie, I was like, eh, it's not. I mean, it's good, but it's not that great. But, like, this viewing really had me back in, like, no, no, this is a masterpiece. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to stick with my 5 out of 5 rating. Respect that. All right, Milton, yeah. you were the deciding factor. Does this go on our 5 out of 5 list? Um, I don't really gravitate towards a lot of comedy pictures for, like, the best movies of all time. But this one, I think, is an exception. I think I'll give this a 5 out of 5 as well. Um, I like to draw attention to at least one of the themes of this movie about self-starters, entrepreneurship, and sometimes very successful entrepreneurships actually becoming so focused into the public eye that there's a lot of pressure. That's definitely a thing that's still very relevant today, especially with a lot of internet startups and young influencers and whatnot. There's definitely that thing. Um, Also, we talk about how this film can be accessible to kids. I can see some parents giving pause to the ghost blowjob scene, which I think, which is uh, very hilarious, but also definitely will have kids asking their parents questions about what the ghost is doing. I had no idea what was happening in that scene when I was a little kid. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe we went the entire time without mentioning the blowjob ghost. Yeah, I can't either. Um, (laughs) We also didn't mention just the obnoxious EPA guy other than the, this guy has no joke dick, but, or joke, Just pretend I didn't say anything. But anyway. We know what you meant. But yeah, like I said, just it's there's a lot we could talk about. I feel like honestly we could talk about this for an hour, but we got to move on. Um but if you guys would like to know more thoughts, uh Milton Milton here will do a written review for Ghostbusters at some point. Yeah. I just volunteered him for that, so now he's I'll do it. No, I'll do it. Yeah. I want that on my desk (laughs) by the end of the day. Exactly. Buddy. <laughs> uh, can I get an extension on that deadline? No. 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 Ah! All right. So, uh, but yeah, uh, great movie. I will add it to our five out of five list. Uh, no, I don't know if I've ever told you, but the the rule I I keep track of all the five out of five movies we give here on on Letterbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as the majority gives it a five out of five, I put it on the list. Uh, okay. So since two out of three gave it a five out of five, Ghostbusters will go on that list. Uh, nice. Next up is uh, Shaun of the Dead. And before we get into that, Milton, me and you have been doing a lot of zombie movies lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will probably be the last one for a while other than the Resident Evil anime. Makes really sense. Movie, but... oh, so yeah. I'm curious to hear you talk about Shaun of the Dead since you just recently watched the Romero films for the first time. Yeah, no, um, it's definitely interesting because I saw Shaun of the Dead a long time ago before I saw the Romero films. And now I have seen the Romero films, and now I'm watching Shaun of the Dead again for this review. 
Um, it's definitely interesting because I was never really confused about the rules of zombies because they've you know pervaded society for a very long time. We know what they have to do. You know, kill zombies by disabling the brain, cutting off the head, that sort of stuff. And Shaun of the Dead knows that too. Still feels like they have to establish the rules, but that is okay. Um, it feels right at home. It You can tell that those who made this movie are great fans of what they would consider to be the source material. Namely the Romero films, maybe stuff like Zombie 2 as well, if you want to get into that. The whole idea of like African voodoo, you know, creating these strange possessed creatures inside of the bodies of men. Um, and not just that, you have Edgar Wright working with a lot of just great camera work to make sure that everything feels fast-paced, but also rather funny as well. You get a heightened sense of reality by just, just getting into the energy of this movie. Not just the generic joke, you know, not just the jokes and the gimmicks that are employed with this movie. It all comes together and it comes into a very nice package. I should probably talk about the plot of this movie, I guess. That would be, that's really mostly what I wanted to talk about. I would recommend to you. Well, we'll get into more of what I talked about earlier. But yes, um, so we have a electronic store employee who's not, he was stuck in a rut played by uh, Simon Pegg. Played by uh, great, Simon Pegg, who Pegg. is one of the two writers along with Edgar Wright for this movie. He has the generic life. He has an apartment that he's renting out with two other flatmates. He has a girlfriend, but he they both feel like their relationship's in a rut. The difference is that Simon Pegg's character is fine with things being the way that they are. The girlfriend, very much not. And there's this whole through line of the movie of is the idea of a sense of stability, you know, how far can that go before it kind of, you know, eats into itself. Uh, there's all, all, also zombies come about just one day. It kind of just happens. That's a thing. The, that the, it's not really explained why it happens, but we also don't really need a full explanation because that doesn't matter to the main characters. Right. Um, Simon Pei gets dumped. Nick Frost is there as the best friend character for Simon Pegg. And there's the idea of going back to the Winchester as a sense of security. Sorry, it's you just, have to say uh, it right. It's going back to the Winchester and waiting for all sorry, this to the blow Winchester. over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the first thing we got to do is we got to establish a lot of characters. Uh, kill Simon Pegg's dad. Uh, drive them all. Get, get them all to the Winchester. We all step wait for this to blow over. It's a stepdad. Remember yeah. that. He doesn't You're right. Not his real dad. You're right. Uh, who is played wonderfully by uh, Bill, Bill Nye? Bill Nye? Bill Nye. Bill Nye. 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 Not to be confused with Bill Nye, the science guy. Yep. This will be the second movie that we've seen with Bill Nye, John, if you remember. And one of them was good, and it's this one. But... You can still recognize that Bill Nye's performance is consistent because he is one of the greatest actors of all time. So uh, the other one was Underworld. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, but he's still he's still good in it. It's just the issue is he's the best thing in a bad movie. Yeah. So the man so, was Davy Jones after all. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So this is very fundamental as a movie for me because uh, as 
anyone who's watched this show or talked to me knows I'm a big zombie fan. Uh, and next to the original Dawn of the Dead, this is the movie that got me into into the zombie genre. Uh, I picked this up for like 10 bucks at a rental store who was selling a DVD copy. And it was like, I've never seen anything like this. This movie's hilarious and disgusting and like terrifying. Um, but yeah, this, this movie came out, especially at the time that it came out, uh, zombies were in a bad place. As much as I like that Snyder Dawn of the Dead movie in 28 Days Later, uh, we hadn't had a traditional zombie movie in a long time. At least one that was, you know, mainstream. Um, so I've always yeah. appreciated this movie, took it back to basics. The slow, bumbling, you know, flesh-eating zombies. Uh, and this right. is not an action movie. It has action in it, but it is not an action movie. It's more of a character drama mixed with high-paced editing, yeah. essentially. Right. Which I, I've always said, Edgar Wright really understood what people loved about those old films. More so than I think a lot of the people who try to tackle a zombie movie. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's a lot of shit in the zombie genre. Yeah. Um, one of the I've biggest things... One of the biggest things is uh, character roles, especially. It even it has a lot of moments where the character role thing of like the flyboy and whatnot is almost open, openly, you know, made fun of. You get these two lines of characters that meet in this one intersection at the fence as they pass by and acknowledge each other, kind of showing the uh, the duplication effect of all these character archetypes that just come around. That's one of my favorite bits. <laughs> and one of them was Martin Freeman. Yeah. One of them was Martin Freeman. Yeah. No, it, it, it's great to see that a lot of these casts, you know, intersect between all of the three flavors Cornetto trilogy. Oh, yeah. Did we talk about are... how this movie is technically a part of a trilogy? A very we loose have not trilogy. Yet. Um, yeah. This movie the... is, is what they call the three Cornetto flavor trilogy or just the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, with yeah. Hot Fuzz and At World's End. Yeah. And what I find well, interesting about that is it, it kind of is reminiscent of Carpenter uh, because he calls The Thing, uh, The Prince of Darkness, and At the Mouth of Madness his Apocalypse trilogy, even though none of them are connected. Right. Um, but maybe a little more ambitious with this one because each one is in a different genre. Yeah. yeah. So, and this I is the he... only movie out of that trilogy that qualifies for the show. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, the world's end might has some horror elements with its sci-fi trappings, I, but I not guess. a not a huge push into it. That's say. more like Alien Invasion, which is like a sci-fi. So, I mean, I guess it's technically a little horror, but this is yeah, the zombie movie. So, this is the only yeah. one I would say qualifies for the show. Uh, which is fine because yeah. this is the best one. Um, it's the third best. <laughs> the fact is that, that it's so debated about which of these movies is the best just shows how great this trilogy so, is as a whole. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love all three. I love all three movies. Um, this has always been my least watched and least favorite simply because I'm not much of a zombie guy. But going back and rewatching this further cemented just like how good of a movie this is. Like, I'd say objectively, this actually might be the best movie in the trilogy, as far as like, because this has more character stuff going on than something like Hot Fuzz, which yeah. is just about the jokes. Um, I wouldn't say that Hot Fuzz is all about the jokes, but 
I know what you're saying. It's very dense with character yeah, stuff. There is, there is character stuff in Hot Fuzz, but I think it's stronger in this movie than it is in that movie. Well, it also has to do with the genres that they're they're satirizing, for lack of a better term. Um, all the best horror is very character-oriented. And I've you yeah. know complained with movies like John Carpenter's Christine, where they put the horror over the characterization, but it's not as interesting because then I don't care about any of these characters any of the characters uh whereas this movie is the complete opposite there is horror here uh but it's got but it balances that with the comedy and all of the characters feel like unique individuals uh, whether you like some of them or not like i i don't know about you guys but like i couldn't stand david but that's because that character is so well written and acted yeah well that he's a douchebag you're supposed to think that david's kind of a twat as they yeah. say, <laughs> yeah. you, you need that um, chaotic element in there. The, the disagreeable sort will create like internal conflict for the group because otherwise, the rest of them get along with each other pretty well. Yeah, mm-hmm. even even Ed is not that much of a disruptive element, despite the fact that he is no. a leech. Well, the big th- yeah, the big thing with Ed is that he's holding Sean back. Because throughout the movie, Sean, you know, he's got problems with his parents and his girlfriend, and he needs to, like, basically grow up. Like, this is kind of a coming-of-age movie where with he's a becoming... With a 30-year-old man. With a 30-year-old man. <laughs> I mean, coming-of-age. Yeah, and uh, Ed recognizes the fact that he holds him back towards the end of the movie when Ed is slowly becoming a zombie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely well, yeah. one of the more obvious themes, but, yeah, it's a good one. Well, and it's it's interesting you mentioned that, Noah, because when I showed you Anna and the Apocalypse, uh, I think that movie is very yeah. much looking at this movie. Um, Definitely. More singing. Um, but yeah, in this movie, these, this movie is very influenced by the Romero trilogy and a lot of nods uh, to those movies. Like, especially the first one I noticed. Uh, oh, Noah's moving. <laughs> I got to grab my charger. My oh, laptop's no. about to die. Um. But especially at the beginning, uh, Milton, I don't know if you noticed this or or Noah, uh, when the Universal logo kicks in, there's that like synth beat for just a second. I am pretty sure that is a sample of the Dawn of the Dead soundtrack. I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Um, Yeah, yeah. because they use that, um, they use other music from Dawn of the Dead um, in other scenes in the movie, like when... When Sean is uh, talking to Ed about what the plan's going to be, the track that they use in that montage scene is a scene. It, they use that in Dawn of the Dead, for sure. Oh, okay. Yep. They should have used the best music. Now it's stuck in here. They do, that's, at, that's in the end credits, actually. Oh, yeah. I need to go back. and I stopped halfway through the Queen song. I got to go back and listen to that. Yeah, no, you, that song no, is like need... an earworm. Yeah, but now you need fast music for fast-paced scenes like the whole planning scene. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, the other big reference... Sure because... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was saying, I, I know that I recognize that music because when I watched Dawn of the Dead for the first time, I was like, oh, that's in Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I, I've so. never sat through all the credits. I know I'm a fraud, but uh, I yeah. usually just watch the movie. <laughs> and, but uh, the other big reference, of course, is also at the beginning when, like... You start like the camera like is like on Sean's feet and then it pans up and he's like yawning. He looks exactly like Bub for a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I read I watched this on DVD a lot and they had a subtitle track that was like trivia about the movie. 
and like they shot that purposefully to make him look like in the same as Bub was positioned in the original movie. Um, yeah, no, I definitely recognize yeah. that now that I've actually seen, you know, Day of the Dead. Bub, yeah, it does zombie. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, also thing. the fame. Sorry, there's also the famous uh, "We're coming to get you, Barbara" reference, where it's a reference to Night of the Living Dead. Yep. But a funny story with that is they showed this movie to George Romero and he apparently did not get that reference immediately. Uh, Simon Pegg had to explain it to him that he was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's amazing. It, it, it was a long time since. They yeah. that well, movie. I guess to build off your story, of course, famously George Romero loved this movie uh, so much mm-hmm. that he offered Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg cameos in his upcoming land of the dead. Yep. If you haven't I'm noticed, sure. that, there are a couple of zombies in the bar scene. You yep. should look for that. Yep. I'm pretty sure George Romero also has a quote on the DVD box where he's he like, does. This is a great movie. That's actually why I bought the movie when I did as a teenager. I was like, Oh, oh George nice. Romero likes this. I got to watch it. <laughs> uh, no, but for me, a lot, so many people talked about this movie. Um, I had seen Hot Fuzz before I saw any of them. Probably for one of the reasons why I like Hot Fuzz the most. And it's like, he, wait, yeah. you know it's part of a trilogy, right? It's like, well, oh, okay, what should I watch? Shaun of the Dead. It's like, never heard of it. And then I did. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I watched, I saw Hot Fuzz and The World's End before Shaun of the Dead. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is, it definitely has, this is like one of the biggest cult followings for this movie. Uh, and like all cult followings of like a lot of different movies. It definitely should be more mainstream, in my opinion, considering how accessible this movie is. Um, is this really a concert. cult movie, though? Like, this movie was pretty big when it came out. It wasn't a smash <laughs> success, because I'm pretty sure this came out around the same time as Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Did it not? Or, That's I don't know right. if it was the same weekend. Or it, It's yeah. bordering nowadays to actual, like, widespread critical acclaim, but it is still technically in that cult. Well, Ted. Yeah, I'm not sure, because I haven't looked it up. I'm not sure if this movie was a failure when it came out, but I'd say it is definitely a cult classic, but, like, it didn't take as long to get to cult status as, like, a lot of other cult films. That's its fair. budget was around $6 million and achieved a profit of $30 million, apparently. So, that's not bad. Not the most successful film, but not a failure. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, Quentin Tarantino really likes this movie. Stephen King also really likes it. Um, yeah. I would love to see Edgar Wright revisit the genre. I know he's got that thriller coming out, but I'd like to see what he could do in the specifically in the horror genre. Um, yeah, I think that it movie is going to be more of a horror thing, though. But it's not going to be a zombie movie, but it's like there's some supernatural elements to it, it looks like. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, this... When it comes out, we will have to check it out. But yeah, this yeah, movie but... won like one of the British Independent Film Awards in 2004, and then won four more awards in 2005. So, I guess people kind of get get mixed on whether or not this is more of a 2005 film or 2004, but it's really just based on when it was released. So, I don't know if that had anything to do with its uh, profitability. Um, uh, so, since we did favorite Ghostbuster, let's take a moment here before we go back into the plot of the movie and the characters and all that. Who's your favorite in this movie? Uh, Noah. 
Yeah, I'd say uh, Sean is probably the most relatable character for me because, like, I think we've all had that thing where we're kind of stuck in a rut and we don't really know where our life is, is going. Um, but, like, Simon Pegg in this movie is really good. Like, he's very funny, obviously, because it's a comedy. But with the emotional stuff, he, like, he really, like, performs it well. And... Yeah, I don't know. I say Sean is actually probably one of the better characters in the whole trilogy as well. I think certainly better than his character in Hot Fuzz, even though I still like that movie. But he's the most well-rounded um, because you get to you get to see him, you know, having fun at the beginning and then like trying to you know step up when his shit hits the fan. Uh, but right. you also have to see him deal with with uh, tragedy. And my favorite scene yeah. in the movie is right after he discovers that Barbara has been bitten, uh, that, like, standoff with all of them, because he's wonderful in that scene. Uh, he, versus... Yeah, he's he's really good. And he is the earnest, troubled everyman. And it, it's a very well-run character. And not hateable, which is great. Uh, and he has flaws. He's, he's one of the most well-written characters in a movie, I would think. And he has a lot to work with and yeah. a lot of people to bounce off of. Uh, versus uh like you mentioned hot fuzz where he's his character is kind of parroting the 80s action hero yeah uh, so he's yeah. very one no uh simple character yeah compared to this yeah i'd say so he does get more um, dimensions as the movie goes on but that is for the purposes of that right. as opposed right. to something that's more suited to this genre which needs a character like Sean. then um other characters i I like ed obviously he's really funny uh, and two seconds. Even, yeah, <laughs> he's not on in it for very long. But Pete is pretty good. Who Peter Serafinowicz's character? Um, I think he's pretty funny. Yeah, his rant like when they're playing the techno at like four a.m. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he got bitten. Why they ask? They like they ask why did they bite you? I didn't. I stop didn't to ask, ask them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he later went on to become the tick. Yeah. Yeah. And they canceled that show. Sucks. Yeah. That was a great show. Screw Amazon. <laughs> no, they, they give us all their stuff, so it's... At least we still have the boys. In, we got the boys in Invincible, but still. Yeah. yeah. We did a few other good shows here and there. Um, but I, I do want to just take a moment as well to appreciate the build-up to the zombies. Um, it's not like the Romero movies where the zombies are kind of the point, so we get to them as quickly as we can. Because, like, in all three Romero movies, you know, like, the zombies are just there from the beginning. Um, this movie takes the time to set up the status quo uh, because it's, like you said, more of a character drama. And he's using the zombies to further that drama and force this character to finally, you know, step up and be an adult. I've yeah. always loved the out-of-focus, like, extra detail shots. Like, not in a way that it happens in Star Wars, but more so in a movie where you can clearly see what's happening in the background because it's still focused in the middle of the screen, despite the fact that it's not actually in focus because then you have the main characters there. I love that comedic trope, and they use it very well. And it goes into the, um, the whole tension building of the presence of the zombies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember uh, when I watched this movie, for, it was the, probably like the fourth or fifth time I watched it, I was, like, so proud of myself for realizing that right after they leave the bar, after he's been dumped, you can see the, like, the woman 
and the the couple you think is making out, but it's actually a zombie yeah. killing someone. I was like, hey, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> it's a little confusing thing where you think they were kissing in the beginning. Yeah. Maybe they were, and then infection, and then you know. Actually, although I'm going to take back what my favorite scene is because my favorite scene is right after that where they start making that random like noise, and then the zombie like. I, finishes off the sound for them goes, oh. well it's a song but I, I don't remember what song it is though yeah i don't know what song it is i have no idea if anybody watching knows feel free to leave us a, a comment below i'd love to listen to it uh but yeah, yeah i love that and that was a trailer moment i remember that because i saw the trailers to this on the dvd and that was that was a trailer moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah um this movie does foreshadowing like really well. There's a lot of lines that come back in like used in different contexts. Like, you know, when Sean's telling Pete to leave Ed alone, like stop insulting him. And then when he comes back as a zombie and he's like biting, biting Ed, Ed's arm, he says, leave him alone and shoots him in the head. I mean, pretty almost everything in the first act is like set up for the second and third act. Yeah. Uh, you've got the, the snake. What was it? Snake hips. Uh, snake boots i don't remember the old guy at the bar and he's like oh you know he's oh, surrounded by women yeah and, oh and yeah. then you see him being eaten by zombie by women that's yeah. right yeah uh yeah. you got the scene where ed's playing the game and like sean is directing him that comes back during the big shooting scene um mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'd argue this is a tighter script than ghostbusters as far as that goes but you know but you you can, we can take points from both though considering just right. they both do different things very well. Yeah. Um, oh. Go ahead. Ooh. We should also talk about, well, this movie, I'm, Hardcore Henry owes quite a bit to this, mainly because of the revival of Don't Stop Me Now from Queen. Yes. And we know what scene we're talking about, well, which is the very well choreographed uh, pull cue scene. This will forever be the best use of that song. <laughs> you you can't top it. Like yeah. hitting a zombie so, in rhythm with "Don't Stop Me Now," you never finish, yeah. never beat it. Second most to Hardcore Henry, which I think does a pretty good one as well. But this, it's very movie. hard. If you neither, if it's probably impossible to top this one, considering it's a great balance of like funny and serious, but mostly yeah. funny, of course, and also the popular music track accompaniment. Uh, which apparently no other film can seem to get it quite right as, as this film did. Well, I, I messaged yeah. Noah right after I finished it because I had forgotten that they play You're My Best Friend uh, at the yeah. end. I was like, that is the most obvious like choice for the ending, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's very obvious, but apparently the story goes is they had already picked out Don't Stop Me Now. I think they wrote that scene uh, with that song in mind. For yeah, it, the, the Don't Stop Me Now scene, and then they were just like listening to a Queen's greatest hits CD, and they came to You're My Best Friend, and they're, they're like, you know what, we should just put that in the end of the movie. It fits anyway. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes sense. Uh, you can tell this movie was written by people who are passionate about movies and wanted to just put in these like darling scenes of sorts and just uh, script a movie around these things. But it still manages to be a great movie, despite you know the age-old thing of kill your darlings in your in your writing. Well, so. and and since since you had mentioned Milton as well as uh, Hardcore Henry, should think this movie. 
Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Edgar Wright should be thanking uh, Sam Raimi at least a little bit uh, for some of the camera stuff that he does in this movie. Definitely. Oh, sure. This is his first like major motion picture directorial debut, right? Yeah, uh, he had uh, he had like an independent film before this, which is like a western thing. But this is his like I don't a, know how much he, that counts. He did a fistful of fingers in nineteen ninety five, and then this. Well, and nine then years later, and before and before this was uh, his sitcom with Simon Pegg, spaced, which. Yeah. Um, if you go back and watch that show, you can see a lot of his style like further develop in these movies. He also did a bit of British television, um, as well as some short films that he also did in the interim. He did music videos as well, so you can definitely well, tell that so, he has an eye for editing too. So going back to like what I said, this is his major motion picture debut. Yeah, um, I would. Say it's so. impressive to see a director come out swinging like this, because. Uh, and, and it's probably because he had that experience on TV and music videos. He's already got his style figured out that he would use for a lot of his other movies. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and with the Don't Stop Me Now scene, you can see that whole concept be, be expanded upon in Baby Driver, where the whole movie is like synced to a bunch of pop songs. Which I still got to see. It's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I like everything I've seen, I've seen from Edgar Wright. Uh, this is probably my favorite movie from him, though, because it hits that uh, spot. Like, we should be investing in more zombie comedies about coming of age. It just, it works. Like, I don't know why it works, but it works. <laughs> also, Fistful of Fingers is available on YouTube to watch if anyone wants, wants to watch in their full length. That is the thing that anybody can do. Yeah, it's probably in, like, 144p. Looks like well, fucking 90s movie. <laughs> well, it was never released on DVD or Blu-ray, so that's that's the quality you have to go with. So. Um, get on that Edgar Wright put out your movie I really like how <laughs> oh no so I really like that Sean is consistently like we have to get to the Winchester but everything that can goes wrong and he's just like no we still gotta get to the Winchester Yeah, it goes wrong in spite of his efforts because he is definitely the glue that holds people together as what a lot of characters say we go along with him because we don't know what to do but he seems to have some direction so we go with him Right. Yeah, um, he becomes a leader throughout the course of this movie, which is, you know, he really yeah. finds his place and matures. And he manages to stay even headed for the most part, at least until his mom gets, you know, killed, but, yeah. but he recovers. Yeah. Um, my favorite gag with just Sean, though, is when he takes the, like, tennis ball on a string and, like, yeah. swings it around like a base and then whaps the zombie in the head with it. And then he's like, oh, that didn't work. Yeah. It's like, oh, rubbish yeah 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 it's weird because when he gets that it's weird that that's his first thought is to do that instead of just stab him (laughs) there's this whole gag about like ineffective weapons against zombies they immediately start in the first movie just throwing objects inside of the house i mean in the the flat i mean to say then it's like oh we're going to pull out our records and we're going to debate over which ones to toss or what's not to yeah he's too connected to his (laughs) record collection yeah, yeah but he doesn't like the Batman there. soundtrack, which is funny. It's probably because it's wide in circulation, so, I mean, what's the value in it if well, everybody it, likes it? It's not the best of Prince's other material, I'd say. <laughs> um, so, and we should also mention that the first two acts of this are very much comedy, 
But I would say the third act is when we get into this is just a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it loses a lot of that comedic tone for more of a, our characters are in over their heads. Like, this is serious time, and it works wonderfully. Um, this is when we yeah. lose most of the cast uh, it's at one point or another. With, of course, the best being the famous David getting ripped apart, kind of referencing, you know, yeah. Colonel Rhodes' death. His death is like the most gruesome out of all of the deaths in this movie. But I will say his death is funny in a way as well, because for no reason whatsoever, his legs just get pulled off by Sean and uh, uh, Liz. Yeah, that's probably that. That's where you get the hilarious thing where it's just pop up and people and stumble back. Diane runs out, even though she said earlier that opening the door would be a very silly thing to do. Yeah, which I can never decide if that's in, like just her being dumb or if the plot just needed her to do that, so that's what her character does. I think the movie is self-aware enough to realize, oh yeah, she's not going to last, so we got to kill her off. And well, and a lot Noah, of people going people. Noah and I are going to talk about that here in a minute because there's a very dumb special feature, but I want to yeah. I want to finish talking about the Winchester scene uh, because that is that is also textbook. Like Sean is trying to keep it together. But it's just like problem builds on problem builds on problem, um, mm-hmm. and then and then Ed Ed dies. R.I.P. The great Ed. One of the uh, saddest deaths in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. But guys. also, also Simon Pegg's like greatest line delivery. I said, "Leave him alone." Leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Simon Pegg. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, he really makes the dramatic stuff work. This is a weird compliment to give, but he's very good at crying. Like a lot of scenes, like in a lot of other comedy movies where you have crying scenes, it's like, can't really take this seriously, but he sells it, I think. He's a very versatile actor, which is quite a compliment to like a lot of the other stuff that he's done. He's in Star Trek, he's in this. Um, Mission Impossible. Yeah. He's able to play the subdued character, but as in Hot Fuzz, he's also able to play the hard line, you know, tough guy as well. And also the sensitive guy. He has a lot of range. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't cry as great as Tobey Maguire, but, you know, that's a different issue. Um, but of course, the movie ends with just Liz and Sean getting getting out. Uh, mm-hmm. Just as they think it's over, the military shows up and kills a bunch of the zombies and then you get probably my favorite one of my other favorite gags where it's just like editing together the different broadcasts after the uh, apocalypse and you get that really weird one where she's like still married to her zombie husband my favorite is like the dramatic reenactment of a kid that had to like yeah Yeah. Uh, the interview tonight with whatever his name is the eight-year-old yeah. that had to fend off his entire zombie family, and it's like this kid with a shotgun pointed at the screen. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> the whole idea of like the news making a commercial product out of tragedy and disaster, uh, yeah. which is a which is a theme that runs through the movie as well. Uh, it's strange yeah. because you, when you look at a lot of zombie movies, and you see that. After zombies, you know, start roaming around, the world goes to shit, and it's like a complete disaster. But at the end of this movie, it seems like they found a way to deal with them, 
and they're just kind of like a normal part of society now. Like you have zombies <laughs> working at grocery stores and shit like that. Yeah, like imagine if the bub thing in Day of the Dead actually could work. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one thing I've always wanted after this movie to come out. I would love to see a movie where it's about how we've integrated zombies into society. Um, and either how that goes well or how that goes wrong, but everyone just goes to like, oh, you know, Romero did the apocalypse thing, so we've got to do the apocalypse thing. Yeah. Um, because we were not creative about our movies if a particular person just managed to be brilliant. And, and I, 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 I've always said as well, you could do a sequel to this movie and make it about that, and it's still a comedy, but it's like a comedy about like integrating the zombies into society, but they didn't yeah. want, apparently didn't want to, so it's like it's all good. I'm happy right. with what we got. And um, if, if if they don't want to come back to do it, then I don't think they should. <laughs> no, unless you got everybody like involved: Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, all of them. If they're not involved, don't bother because I don't care. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um. So Noah and I are going to talk a little bit about the DVD special features, which are really dumb. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't have I didn't, time, unfortunately, for that. But I'm just gonna go off memory because I didn't get a chance to rewatch them. I, I didn't. I, would, but... I didn't either. But just to fill in okay. uh, Milton here, so because of course I had this on DVD, I watched the special features a lot, and there was this little thing that would be like you could pick a character who had died, and it would be like, oh, here's what happened to this character, uh, and according to this, Diane survives. By beating yeah. off the zombies with her dead boyfriend's leg, and then camping in the tree and living off the flesh of the leg. Yeah, it's you could have still was completely just... self-aware of how of its tone. Definitely after something like that. I don't know. I feel like she was supposed to die in that scene. Yeah, no, um... no that, that's what the film definitely is saying, but. You know, you also have the dumb special features like, did you know it really means this with this fan theory like nonsense of this character could actually survive just because they die off screen and we don't see them. Um, my favorite my... special. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was about to say, and that's that's my film theory right there. So that's a film my, theory. My favorite special feature I mentioned this earlier was uh, the com- the subtitle track that was just like trivia about the movie and shit. The last be- bit of trivia from the subtitle track was Shaun of the Dead was based on a true story. <laughs> it's like I don't think so, Tim. Of course it was. No, it's um, shoot, I forget what that's a reference to. There's another film that says it's based off of a true story, but it's it's not real at all. I forget which movie it was though. Argo. Uh, no, it wasn't Argo. Um, oh, Fargo. Fargo, yeah. Yeah. That's a reference to that, I'm fairly sure. Yeah. It might be. I've, I've never seen that movie. I mean, there's there's other things that do that. Well, we were talking about the Conjuring movies. I mean, those are based, those are inspired by real things, but the stories themselves are like... Uh, Fargo in and of itself like, makes fun of the whole, this is a true story kind of thing, because it's very yeah. much not based on a true story at all. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some Fargo elements that inspired this movie as well. Considering it's a Coen Brothers film, like one of the penultimate ones. All right, so we are nearing an hour, or at least actually we're probably a little over an hour. So we're a little over, actually. Yeah. Noah, is there any anything else that you want to talk about before we move into final thoughts? 
Mm, not really. What about you, Milton? Um, watch these movies if you haven't. They're great. You should get into them. We already spoiled them, though. I mean, but, yeah, sure, we, we, we love horror movies, but we also love movies in general. These are some of the movies that you should watch even if you don't like horror, because they have elements that you're going yeah. to like even if you're not a horror fan. If you like comedy, I think you'll enjoy both of these movies. Yes. Speak for yourself, very... Milton. I hate movies. A lot Ooh. of people like fast-paced editing uh, and action. It gets people's blood pumping and helps keep their attention, especially in these generations where people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. These movies still hold up. So, yep. watch them. So, before I move into my final thoughts, I am curious. Milton, do you think your enjoyment of this movie was enhanced since you saw the Romero films? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. But I would not say that they're dependent on seeing the Romero films first, which is a great credit to Shaun of the Dead. I'm pretty sure I saw this before I saw any of the Romero films. So. Same here. Yeah. I think I'd only seen part of Night and Dawn all the way through. I definitely haven't seen Day yet. That's like if you want to watch a movie that's inspired by something, <laughs> do the research. Like trying to know what's inspired by, especially if it's another movie or book or whatnot, because you'll be there, like putting yourself in the shoes of the filmmaker, and that does help you enjoy a movie better, even more so than you already did. I think. Yeah. Also helps you be more rounded and actually helps you get educated. So. Oh, I don't yeah. want to be educated. We don't need no edumacation. That's okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Noah, since you picked these and I went first uh, for final thoughts on Ghostbusters, I'm going to let you start with the final thoughts on Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, um, final thoughts is this is one of my favorite films of all time, one of my favorite comedies of all time. It's not my favorite in the Cornetto trilogy, but despite that, I'm giving it a 5 out of 5 because, like, even if it's I like it slightly less than the other films, it's still like it does everything it needs to do well. Like it accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do. So perfect movie. Milton. Five out of five. Ed eats a Cornetto ice cream cone in one of the scenes, like further establishing that this is a three flavors Cornetto trilogy. There's not really a whole lot of else to say. What's been, what's needed to be said has been said. Watch the movies. Very nice. Very well put. Um, yeah, definitely watch this. It mixes the social satire of the Romero movies with uh, some comedy about just life and be stuck in a you know in a rut. Uh, it has a great character arc. It is about the characters more so than the commentary but Edgar Wright understands that zombies are best used as a metaphor for something else, uh, yes. which I feel like a lot yeah. of zombie movies miss, where it's just, oh, look, we've got zombies. Uh, right. <laughs> they have the dead remake. Oh, God. I'm so glad yes. that's over with. <laughs> I am also going to give this a five yeah. out of five. I think this takes the cake just under the Romero movies of being one of the best zombie films of all time. And I think long long after all, uh, the three of us are dead and gone, this will be placed just under those as important zombie films. Uh, and I want yeah. Simon Pegg to do more genre stuff. Yeah. Hopefully we'll still have movies and society doesn't completely collapse like in our apocalyptic 
fantasies, but you know, here's open. Yeah, fingers uh, crossed. I agree. Just some closings. Uh, if speaking of zombies, uh, the Telltale uh, season one episode one playthrough is almost completely up, so I will have episode two up soon. Um, but I'm probably going to take a week break from that and start Resident Evil 4 since that new Resident Evil anime comes out. Um, or if Milton is available, maybe we'll start Village. I'm not sure. Um, just depends. But there will be some Resident Evil content on the channel before the new show drops. And uh, we are working on Buffy and Angel. I don't know if Milton has had time to watch any of it, but uh, go check out the Season 3 review. It was a lot of fun. and. Thank you, Noah, uh, for being here. It was a blast having you. Absolutely. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to figure out when we do Ghostbusters 2, probably later this year. Uh, yeah, I'd love to do Ghostbusters 2 with you guys. Ghostbusters we'll do, 2, Electric Boogaloo. It'll be the, that, that week will just be like disappointing sequels. Oh. <laughs> or at least underwhelming. I'll be the one defending Ghostbusters 2 in that episode <laughs> against you frauds. Oh, mm. no. Um, I guess the last thing I want to say is, Milton, I don't know if you noticed, but we are three away from 30 subscribers. I know, it's exciting. We're we're getting more people's attention. Please keep telling more people about the show. We love being here. We love talking about these movies, and more importantly, we like to entertain you and also inform you and maybe give you attention to movies that are perhaps a lot better than what's being put out now. There's people's work that deserves a lot of attention, perhaps more so than they received when the films were initially released. And they they need this sort of thing because they deserve a lot more attention and recognition. Uh, Which uh, brings me into the next thing I wanted to talk about before we go off the air. After the episodes that we have scheduled, a bunch of 2021 movies that are just coming out that I want to cover, not only because I want to see them, but just to be purely honest, new stuff is going to bring in new people. Uh, yeah, but I would like to go back to some underrated gems of the '80s, '90s, and 2000s. So I will be making a list, and we'll we'll go over that. But I wanted to announce that is something we are looking into doing. Uh, and hopefully Austin will be here next week. But we are going to be doing the Fear Street Part One and Two of the trilogy. Uh, so thank you guys for watching. If you like the content, feel free to hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends. Tell your parents. Tell everybody who will listen. If they like horror, check out the channel. And I will see you guys Wednesday with a gaming stream. And hopefully Milton will be there. Yes. Thank you for watching.